All right, this season of Tune on Toast is brought to you by my friends at Velvet Hammer Music and Management Group. This run of episodes I'm doing right now would not be possible without them. If you work under the arts umbrella, music, comedy, podcast host, whatever it is, they support you, they chase greatness, they love the arts from the bands and the brands they work with like System and Corn to Ted Stryker and Tuna on Toast. Thank you, Velvet Hammer. Now let's get to the episode. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that created it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. Thanks for coming back. It is Ted Stryker. If you are brand new to Tuna on Toast, welcome to the family. Our guy, Nick Hexum from 311, is going to join us in just a minute. A couple of things. Friendly reminder, all of these episodes you can watch on my YouTube channel, Tune on Toast with Stryker. And again, if you're new, just some of my past guests, I'll just throw out a few names. Mike Shinoda, Tom DeLong, Mark McGrath. M Shadows, uh, Mikey from Incubus, Davey Havoc, one great one after another. Just the coolest roster of guests. Boy, oh boy, do I like 311. Peanut, uh, S.A., Tim, Chad, and Nick. And what are these guys up to? Have they been in a studio lately? Of course I ask Nick Hexum that. And he gives us some information. He also brought to my house Shaquille O'Neal's basketball sneaker. And there's Two or three great stories about Shaquille O'Neal and 311, and I think two of them Nick has never, ever revealed. There's a lot of other nuggets in here, and I've been following 311 for years, just like you. He was telling me some things in our very relaxed chat that I had never heard before, so I hope you guys really enjoy it. This is an independent podcast. I do it from my spare bedroom. I got a couple of microphones, a couple of lights. I just hit record and the thing goes every single Tuesday for tuna on toast. Okay. 311, 13 full length, awesome studio albums over all these years. Plus the live DVDs. I appeared in one of those DVDs, by the way, I was on stage plus the 311 cruises and all the 311 day Concerts, New Orleans, Las Vegas, and I, of course, have to say the relationship between band and you and you and the band. It's hard to find many other bands out there that have this sort of relationship. You get that connection. You can have a very long career, especially when you mix in all the music. Here he is. I'm welcoming the handsome. There he is right now. Please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio. Here's Nick Hexon. Nick, watch your head here. Don't okay. smash it. Watch the cameras. Get out of my way. <laughs> oh, these cool coasters. Dang, there you go. And they use the coaster. Nick Hexum respects wood. Yes, I do. We'll start. Let's just start right now. Oh, one, two. Oh, one, two. Hello, hello, hello. This is my speaking voice. I do like tuna on toast. Oh, I've been foregoing the toast lately. I did have tuna and avocado this morning. You did? Yes. <laughs> It is so good to see you. Great to see you, Stryker. We've known each other a long time, so it's fun to have another uh, in-depth. Um, there's a few bands in my life that were there for basically day one of my professional life. And I was cheering you guys on all those years ago when I was living in Tucson. I had just gotten on the radio, 
and I was screaming everybody in Tucson, 311, 311, 311. And then no doubt came to Tucson, and no one knew who they were yet. But Adrian Young was wearing a 711, 311 shirt. That's right. And so I bonded with him over that. And then watching you guys over all these years, congratulations on an incredible career. Thank you. Yeah, that uh, 7-Eleven ripoff was a quickly ceased and desist <laughs> ordered. So uh, it's kind of a collector's item. But yeah, and then I now that we're going down memory lane, I remember one of my earlier memories is being on the air with you when you guys ha- um, were up at... Uh, Hollywood and Highland. Yes. Like, and you had a crowd outside. It was like almost like the Today Show or TRL kind Correct. of vibe. Yeah. And that was the time that I accidentally blurted out live on the air <laughs> that we were playing the Inland Invasion. Right. And you were like, oh, no, you're not supposed to say that. And I was like, just bright red for like <laughs> ruining the rollout of, of K Rock's I, no. <laughs> I remember that day so. Well, I was wearing a checkered shirt that day. I re- I still have pictures from that day. And yeah, that broadcasting from Hollywood and Highland was, I mean, one of the highlights and weirdest thing, like having you guys come by and that giant crowd watching you. Yeah, it was the TRL era. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's not a normal summer without 311 doing a ton of shows do you know how many years in a row you've done a summer tour and a bunch of gigs? Uh, every summer except 98. Um, in, wow. the, in, in 98, we only did the Australian and Jap- Japan and, and Hawaii warp tour. Um, but other than that, uh, we tour every summer. And then, of course, the, the year of the pandemic, nobody toured. But we did do the live streaming shows. So uh, June 10th this year will mark 33 years that we've been a band. So wow. that's... I guess 31 of them, we've done nice long summer tours. So there's been some guests on this show who have had very long, fantastic careers. And a couple of them have said it's not super important for them now to get in the studio and go make 12 new songs every three years because they've got 40, 50, 60 songs and they're just so happy with those and they're going to go tour every year. Is it important for you as we hang out here today to continue to do that? I would say that the itch is is building up really strong right now to make new music uh, because it has been a minute. Um, and I've got some really exciting ideas and the band was together uh, last week and we did like seven or eight rehearsals where we put together new songs. And so I I do relate with the fact that we've already got a nice body of work that we could just you know, keep touring on, but there's a lot of exciting ideas uh, kicking around. And now um, I'm a little bit lamenting the fact that everyone's geographically kind of scattered. Um, You know, before we actually, for a while, all lived within a mile of each other in Laurel Canyon. Everybody was in Laurel Canyon near the the Canyon store. Right. Oh, I love that little store. (laughs) Every day we would get together at at the hive. Yeah. but uh, now people have, you know, when people go, like I've always heard that people go to Topanga is where LA goes to breed. So I'm raising kids in Topanga and people are off in Ojai and Arizona and stuff. So it's a little harder to get together, but the itch is strong right now. It and is. we're going to um, make a new a body of work at our 
as soon as we can. That's exciting for all of us to hear you say that because if you're putting it out there, we're going to investigate and we're going to check it out and be like, okay, these guys made an album almost every year, 93, 94, 95, 97, 99, 2001. It's like, what a crazy schedule. Yeah. And you could easily just, as we talked about a second ago, just be like, oh, we're just going to play these songs. To hear that you, Peanut, S.A., Tim and Chad, have the itch, I'll say it again, that is very, very exciting for us. Yeah, well, I think it goes, um, it ebbs and flows. There's sort of like seasons of like, I think it's good to to take little breaks and then the strongest ideas will build will build up in you and need to get put out. And so, you know, we've we've had that sort of winter where we haven't weren't making any new music. And then during that time, we do ret- retrospectives. Like during the pandemic, we were streaming albums in their entirety of our first six albums. And um, but now there's just some really exciting modern ideas that we have that need to come out. When you're, do you drive any of your kids to school ever? Yes. When they're in the car and you're riding with them, does your brain, because when I'm driving, but I don't have kids in my car, that's when my brain starts spinning the most creatively. And I don't even realize I just drove seven blocks. When they're in the car, are you ever like, they're talking, talking, talking. You're like, "Mm, I have this idea for a song here. Yeah. Well, um, (laughs) I think uh, allowing usually my oldest daughter to uh, connect to the Bluetooth and, um, and play her <laughs> favorite new songs. And I, I heard Tyler, the creator from her. I heard mm. Steve Lacey from her. I heard deep cuts of Frank Ocean that I had not heard yet. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool to be influenced by your kids. And, and then I'll quick Shazam it and add it to a playlist. And what I like to do to absorb songs is um, just play guitar along with a playlist of like new cool music i have a playlist called a current fave that's all just random all different genres songs that i like and in the evenings i'll probably put like nba playoffs on put it on mute put on this playlist and just jam along with it and then it's just it's just a great way to expose be exposed to to new music and it just you're kind of internalizing it i always say that if you want to keep broadening the output then you have to broaden the input. So hearing right. new music is uh, will inspire you in, in new directions. I always thought it was impossible to put 311 into a certain genre. In 2023, it's impossible for 90% of artists to put in any genre. Yeah. You've been doing this forever. Is that what you're noticing when you're listening to newer stuff? You're like, I don't know if this is alternative rock, pop, rap. Like, what is this? Yeah. I, I, it brings me back to a time when that was a bit of a problem for us because mm. uh, in the beginning of our band, there was uh, radio was all about the Seattle sound and it was all about grunge and having some reggae and hip hop in there was just not really um, allowed. So that's when we realized that we needed to just be a grassroots organization. That's why we called our second album Grassroots and we're like, we're just going to or take it to the people. Radio is not going to help us. We're, we're just going to tour, tell gold, and we put our stuff in storage and just lived on the road. And because of the problem that we were between genres, but now, you know, that's um, become uh, uh, okay. And I was hearing a podcast analyzing uh, 21 Pilots the other day, and they were like, well, so what kind of music is 21 Pilots? And the guy was like, it's kind of like 311. Like that's, that's what he said as the genre. I was like, I'll take that as a really nice compliment. That's very, very cool. I was the first person to play them, man. 
And there was something about them that first time I heard them, similar to you, I had no clue what they looked like. I didn't know where they were from. I didn't know if it was like seven wizard musical scientists in the basement. It was two guys. You got Tyler Joseph leading the charge. Yeah, what a talent. It takes, when you got five human beings and you're young, there is a chance that one, two, three, or four of those people don't have the eye of the tiger as someone else in the band. But it seems like almost from day one, Everybody had the fire in the in their belly, and if they didn't, you wouldn't be able to do the things you have done. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think there was it was such a magic time that we felt like we were, you know, putting a saddle on a dragon or something. There was just so much energy in <laughs> yeah. the explosion of of high energy music and the moshing and like the the rebellion that it felt like. But we were always a positive rebellion you know what i mean we're not right. we're not it wasn't destructive it was a celebration um and yeah it it, it was a, a magic time that there was a ton of energy and i think i always had a lot of risk tolerance that the guys tell me now like you you said we could move to to la and get a deal and here it happened <laughs> and it was pretty pretty crazy to to, to see it all happen you know? Uh, were you living when you moved here by the Guitar Center on Sunset, or am I making that That's up? Right. Um, on on Vista. Right on there. Vista. Yeah. Was there a Denny's right there? It was. It was right next to the Rock and Roll Denny's. <laughs> okay. And that's when they had a dollar ninety nine um, Grand Slams. So. <laughs> In my day, I walked. Two hours to school through the snow. A dollar ninety nine grand slams, and did you go there solo and have meals? Oh yeah, all the time. And I would bring the recycler, which is where you would look in the back for people looking to get in a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a musicians' connection was the other one where you could find band members. When you came to L.A., was it just you from the band that got here first, and then the others followed suit? Yeah. So I came to L.A. when I was seventeen, graduated early from high school. And, and I just kind of floundered around. Um, and at that time, it was all about, like, Guns N' Roses. And it was the end of, like, hair metal and stuff and, on the Sunset Strip. But I was really interested in Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction, Fishbone, Mary's oh, Danish. Wow. Like, there was this really cool scene, but it was still kind of underground. And I couldn't find good people to play with. And I, but I was like, you know, the best people would be my homies from Omaha and I had met uh, Chad through the the jazz band in school and I had a cover band with Tim. Well, we started doing originals, but it was more like the alternative of that time was, you know, REM and the Smiths and the Cure and kind of English yeah. music yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. And, but then when we, so then I, I moved back to, uh, I went back to do graduation with my class and and then that's when Unity was formed. That was me and Tim and Chad. Uh, and that was kind of the birth of the 311 sound in 88. And then we came, me and Chad came out and did a version <laughs> of, of Unity where we played at like the Coconut Teaser and oh Roxy and yeah, uh, other clubs that probably aren't there anymore. And we didn't really get a lot of traction, kind of splintered. Uh, Chad decided he wanted to go back to school and then in 1990, we reformed in Omaha. So it's it's kind of a long convoluted, moved here, moved there. Right, no. But then that's when it really coalesced, was opening for Fugazi on June 10th, 1990. 
And where was that? In Omaha. That was Soho in Hall. Oh, my still, God. Still there. We played a 25-year anniversary show at Soho Hall a few years back. So It's amazing. And also, I commend you. And maybe it's because you were young, because I think maybe I did the same thing on a scale a million times smaller than yours. But you didn't get traction when you were here at first. You weren't all of a sudden, they weren't just handing out record contracts. They're like, hey, you just moved here? Yeah. Here you go. So <laughs> No. No, and but especially with not it. with the sound that we were doing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't they. It wasn't what they were looking for. Man, and so after you opened for Fugazi in Omaha, how much time after that did everyone say, "Let's get out here to the West Coast"? Uh, it was ninety and ninety-one. We were based in Omaha, and then um, so we made two albums, three albums during that time two cassettes and one we made it actually all the way to cd which was like a huge accomplishment that right. we made our own cd in yeah. 1991 like um and then yeah in 92 we decided to to go for it and move out here together sa was kind of uh, uh he was like doing uh, guest spots with us before that and then at that time he became like a full member and we were like officially a five piece and um, it was some slim times when we first moved out here. Like we didn't have any money, and it was all just eating top ramen. And right. we tried to grow our own marijuana and failed miserably. <laughs> but we all lived in a little house in Van Nuys, and it. But it was a a great time because we just lived and breathed music, and we were either rehearsing or playing basketball <laughs> all the time. When you look at those years, and I'm just going to take. Let's go. 90 to 95. Are those the most fun five years of your career looking back? I'm not saying in the moment when you're struggling living in the house, you're probably like, how do I get my own freaking apartment down here? But when you look back, is that the top of the heap or no? I would say if uh, just include 96 too. Okay. I remember 96 six being the real most satisfying i mean everything was just a crescendo up to that year because the blue album came out in 95 right and we recorded the blue album when we were living in a house just a couple blocks from here no way yes <laughs> yes um so it was fun as i was driving over i was like that's the place i have not been to this neighborhood in, in a while so um it, it brings back a lot of memories but after so I guess that would have been 94 that me and Tim and Chad were living here recording the Blue Album. Right. And, and, and 95. And then in 96, we moved to Laurel Canyon. But just business-wise, everything came to fruition that time. And I remember getting a, a buzz clip on MTV. You know what I mean? And it, But it wasn't... It, it just... The shows had gotten so big that it, it was almost like they had to let us into the... Right. To the club, you know what I right. mean? Because we just build such a groundswell of of a fan base just through through word of mouth. And, and you still have those fans watching you on tour, going on a cruise, 311 day, which is so legendary. And the connection that you have made with each individual person, I mean, I believe should be the goal when you do it in an authentic way, whether you're a comedian, a radio DJ podcasts or a band. So you've seen it happen right in front of your eyes. Yeah. Is there any like few things that you can attribute it to? Of course, the live shows rule and the songs rule. Is that it? Is that the combination? Um, 
I think that we expect to uh, nothing to come to us easily. We expect to work hard to to get to where we're going. Oh, right. And I think that um, there was always that uh, a bit of a punk rock ethic of like, we're not going to be arrogant at all. We're just like, we're just like our fans. We're just, you know, we, we treat people really nice when we meet them. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, it was sort of the anti, you know, hair metal thing that was happening in, in LA when we first got here. We, we were wanted to be more like just a punk rock ethic of just being like, we're the same as our fans. And you are. And you are, and you've done so many nice things for me over the years. I've told you on air and off air. Nick Hexum is such an authentically nice guy and has helped me in a zillion ways. So I appreciate you, Thank man. You. Of course. Same both ways. Thank you. Uh, when your full length album music came out and you're leading up to that and you're with the label Capricorn, did anyone try to whisper in your ears to not do your music a certain way and take you off your vision. There's been bands that have been in here that have like, oh yeah, we had people who thought they knew what how we should write and perform and don't put so much of this guitar and it's too heavy for this year. Like, did you get any of that? I can't say that we did. Uh, we had an early supporter of us was our producer, Eddie Offord, who was the um, kind of the go-to producer in Prague He from yes to emerson lake and palmer like this really art uh, artsy english progressive music and um so he i think he just had that aesthetic of like let's just be really creative and let the band do their thing and he was more into um sound quality and really good production and engineering rather than like let's 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 workshop this chorus for a while he was just Kind of let us do our thing in terms of the writing. So oh, nice. Um, and we didn't get any real meddling from the label. Uh, they 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 thought we had some enough hooks and whatever yeah. kind of <laughs> stuff was needed. But um, you know, I do also remember that after a month of touring on music, Capricorn Records was part of Warner Brothers at that time, and it basically came down from. Mo Austin, who was the top, like, okay, we gave 311 a shot. We're done. Like, we got one month of tour support. So then we had to figure out, like, how are we going to continue to tour without any tour support? And that's when we borrowed Chad's dad's RV so we could basically tour for almost nothing and live in the RV. And, um, and then it burned down. And no. <laughs> Yes, it caught fire. What were you going up some steep hill in the middle of nowhere and it overheated? It was. It was. There was like a backfiring issue, and okay. we just kind of like learned to like it backfires. Like so, what? And enough backfiring eventually caught the floorboards, bottom of the RV, on fire, right. which spread to the gas line, which we had just filled it up with a hundred gallons of gas. Oh and my god! It went up so hot. And burned up everything. We, we barely escaped with our lives. And uh, did you save any? Was there equipment in there that you got out of there? No, we we all Peanut had taken a, a ride with our um, sound man, so it was me and Tim and Chad and Essay, and all four of us only had a pair of shorts on. We had our shoes on, no shirt, and we each had our wallet. So we was like, that was we just start over with those items. 
So we just had to borrow oh. clothes and we borrowed some money from this very generous uh, benefactor, this, this kid in Omaha that had a rich dad who lent us money to buy another RV. And, um, and we were able to pay that back within a year, but it was really um, this kind of like, Hey, all we need is, I remember after the RV went, I said to Chad, all we need is each other and the songs in our hearts and in our head we're going to get through this. You know what I mean? It was, oh, it was yeah. like a, a, a galvanizing type unifying thing for us to like start over and all that. What, what guitar we play it on is not that important. It's just the, the mission that we're on together. That leadership and positivity that you've had for so many years, were you like that in elementary school? Were you like that in junior high school? Um, well, I, probably been accused of being kind of bossy as a kid you know what i mean there's fine line between bossiness and leadership but um i just i know that we have a really special chemistry and that we stumbled on something really great and that the band has done better together than we could have ever done separately so you know we keep an attitude of gratitude and right. take care of it listen you know two ears and one mouth you should listen twice as much as you talk and keep keeps working did you ever take a music lesson growing up? Yeah, I started piano when I was five years old. Um, though I'm still resentful that I wasn't allowed to like learn any like rock and roll or anything. My oh. music teacher was all about like minuets and <laughs> stuff that really. But um, so that now with my kids, I like try and like let's learn a Steve Lacey song. You know what I mean? Let's do a Taylor Swift cover or whatever, just to stoke their their passion but my my daughter is actually a, a very accomplished pianist too in in the traditional sense but anyway um and then yeah when i was 12 i switched to guitar and that's when it really took off the first song i ever learned on guitar fun fact yes i don't know if i've ever said this before was margaritaville by jimmy buffett wasting away again Mar margaritaville <laughs> 12 year old singing about wasting away on margaritas <laughs> and uh did you sing the line loud? Some people claim there's a woman to blame. <laughs> yeah, but I know it's my own damn fault. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first. Now, why did you choose that song? Was it being played in your house by relatives? Um, my stepdad was my guitar teacher, and he was like, this song is just three chords. It's super easy. Right. It's just a place to start. It's just the song that he picked, and I liked it. And then I probably learned, like, should I stay or should I go? By the clash, yeah. Wow. And then... First time singing or performing in front of somebody, was that, were you in plays or was it actually in a band situation? Yeah, I was um, in the school chorus. So I, I think I did have some solos during that. And then there was the school talent show and I had a chance to tell my number one idol slash man crush of all time is Joe Strummer. And I had a chance to tell him that I did... My first rock and roll performance was at the school talent show and we played three Clash songs and we called it a tribute to the Clash. And um, we did Police and Thieves and Should I Stay or Should I Go and Protex Blue, which was a very rare song that no one had heard. And, but the music teacher was like, I'm just gonna call you the Clash. So my first performance <laughs> was as the Clash because she shortened it. Is <laughs> oh Joe Stormer thought that was funny. And cool. Oh my God, that's so cool, man. Um, so you put out 
all these albums as we talked about like sometimes it was a year another year another year another year looking back at that i mean you've got all the success of course but was that too much too quick for your mental health and creative spirit or was that the right way to do it um you know i think that we didn't have a lot of complications in life that it was just like the band and that's it so it was uh it, it seemed pretty natural and you just have a ton of ideas that need to get poured out i mean i always say any band's debut is like the greatest hits of all their ideas up to that time right they just all get dumped down that's why a lot right. of people's debut is the best and then the, they have a sophomore slump but because they've been holding on to those ideas and they can't wait to spill it for the last yeah. 10 years of their life yeah it's okay. the greatest hits of your youth right is usually a, a debut um but yeah we we still had a, a ton of ideas to keep us but yeah it did trail off a little bit Brian it, it went from a new album every year until on the blue album we is the year that we blew we blew up so we took two two years of touring that's when it kind of started slowing down a little bit right but, but i'd still. like to get to get back to more frequent um releases i don't think it needs to be you know 14 songs at a time i think it could be smaller collections so like three here maybe two four months later i would think so that's i, I, I want to reach cool. consensus with my bandmates but that's <laughs> That's what I think. Right. Um, hey, what was the first official single from the Blue Album? Like where radio got it and MTV. What was the first one you guys chose? So it w it went all mixed up. Don't stay home. Oof. Down. Oh. And then we re-released all mixed up. Ah. Because <laughs> people were paying attention to us finally. Yeah, but it was it, it was always our third single that um, did well for us on on any, you know, like Amber was the third single on that album. It was almost like oh let's let's put one more before we give up and and down was 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 that on the blue album and we, but I always felt man that chorus is so catchy we got it we got to do down and the labels like that's a little abrasive a little hard with all that rapping and like round round round. So, God. but they came around. Yeah, they came around eventually. <laughs> wow. Um, and then what was it like, if you can put into words, and I know you've been asked this a million times, but you're two feet from me, where all of a sudden, all the work that you've put in, it's like, and your dreams are coming to fruition with, you're on MTV all the time. You're on the biggest radio stations in the country. The audience is growing. That's at your live shows from a certain amount to a much bigger amount. And boy, oh boy, you guys are just going. Did you enjoy it? What was it like? Yeah, we loved it. Good. Yes. Good. We, Good. Yeah. We. I didn't understand. I mean, I guess there's certain artists that get to a level of fame where it feels just like a burden and feels a pressure. We never got anywhere close to that. We always just felt like this is so cool. And now just... Last week when we were together putting together new songs, like, look at us, man, we're still doing it. Can you believe we're at work right now? This is like a hobby that we happen to be able to do a career of. So I think we've we've kept a positive attitude about it. When you guys got together recently and you're all in the room and you're playing these new songs, who is bringing what to the table all these years in? Like you had 10% of the ideas or like everyone was like, here's what I got. Let's try this. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it happens different ways. Uh, Chad likes to 
really get intricate on an instrumental and then he brings it to me in essay and now um peanut has gotten involved on he's been a good contributor to the the lyric side um and you know i might bring a, a song completed i might just say i'm going to leave this part wide open for someone else to write a, a part um i just have become more enamored with collaborating because it's just a right it makes it like an endless journey that you just find new people to collaborate with new situations new locations that you're collaborating so i've learned so much over the last two years doing this podcast from musicians about collaborating and what every single person has said so far is when you're collaborating if their idea is better than the one you brought in you just have to give up immediately and not you have to be totally selfless with it for the better product yeah i think it ebbs and flows of um how much like initiative that I have other sometimes I've like just get out of the way like yes go with that let's go and other times I'm like the one suggesting this and that and this so you know sometimes you're uh, supportive and other times you're more of a leader um I just want to go back on one thing that I wanted to ask earlier when you were first touring with other bands who were some of the bigger bands at that time that you were opening for not just one show or you did like a 10 or 20 20 shows in a in a run our first uh opening slot our first real tour was opening for boingo they shortened their name from boingo boingo to just boingo for this tour and it was like their last actual tour uh and that's this was on the music album and wow. you know the people that showed up there were it was not our crowd at all you know it was an older crowd um, but we got to play some really cool places like the Greek and Berkeley and, um, and, you know, hanging out with Danny Elfman was pretty cool. It was pretty intimidating. Um, sure. And then on the last day of the show, which was in, in Berkeley last tour, last show of the tour, they like totally hazed us by like, <laughs> they put like, um, baby powder on the drums they put like duct tape all over the stage. They put like vodka in our water bottles, like all this, this is this hazing kind of thing. We kind of knew they were going to do it. So like we did, didn't get our feelings hurt, but it was a fun show. That's wild that you were opening your first official tour for Oingo Boingo. Yeah. But you said that it was maybe a little bit of an older crowd and they weren't there to see you, but it never is for a younger band for you when you're going out with an established artist when you're young. Like your job is like, we we have to put in our effort and eighty percent of the people may not be paying attention to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's emo more emotionally challenging mm. to like have to win people over each night, but still it's nice work if you can get it. When yeah, of course. So Danny Elfman, did you converse with him a lot on that tour? Or were you did you just like they're over there, we're gonna stay over here? Uh he was friendly and he had um a me and um Warren uh, who was from uh, the Vandals come out and see, who like those guys are like huge Oingo Boingo fans had to come out and sing back up on uh, on a song on their on their their final show at the Palladium. I got out to, got to go sing and I didn't really know the words very well, but I certainly <laughs> <laughs> tried to fake it. Wait, hold on. What do what do artists do? When they're singing a song and it's live, 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 of course, and you 
everyone has to space out every now and then. So what do you do? Well, um, <laughs> you just hold the mic right in front of your mouth so nobody can really tell. And it was just like a, a sing-along to the chorus, so nobody probably noticed. All right, so we have not addressed, if you are listening to the audio, not watching on YouTube, uh, we're in my spare bedroom, which is the Tune On Toe studio, and in the center, a table, Nick brought Shaquille O'Neal's basketball shoe with an autograph to 311, and this was from the performance in Irvine when he joined you on stage for Psycho? Well, actually, it predates that a little oh, bit. Oh, it does. Um, so for the You Wouldn't Believe music video, we had him, uh, he came and did a, a cameo. And um, first of all, he, uh, it was during the NBA playoffs. So he was not allowed to play pickup basketball with a band he was like, nobody can know about this until like after the playoffs because he was going to get in so much trouble. On the with, Lakers at the time? The Lakers. Okay. Yes, this was the, this was the year that they, they won. And Phil Jackson would have gotten really mad. Um, and so he came down to our, our video shoot, which was at the um, that big dome that's down at the, uh, the Queen Mary in Long Beach. Okay. That's where we shot the music video and right. set up a basketball court for us to, to, to play basketball against Shaq. And he showed up and he had two left shoes. And he was like, of course, nobody else had a shoe that they could lend him because they're like size like 23 or this something. This thing is as big as the freaking table in here. Yeah. So he, um, he, he said, you may, you may not film my feet because I, he had two right shoes on. <laughs> no, left shoes. Two, oh, yeah. Two left shoes on. You may not film my feet, and if you do, I will sue you. No. But but it's been so long; he's not going to sue us. So I, this is right. a, yeah, this is a scoop right here that I'm, um, and uh, and then a few weeks later, we did K Rock's Weenie Roast, and he showed up in his helicopter and joined us on stage to do the song we, we, that we recorded with him called Psycho. Wow. So I actually am not sure whether the shoe came from which of those two things that we, but that was such a, such a cool thing to, I mean, this was the year that the Lakers won. It was, you know, Kobe and Shaq and to have, and they had just won the championship. And then we did the, the, the weenie roast. So the place just went crazy and Shaq jumped into the crowd and like busted his mouth on somebody's head. And right. Like, oh, he, said he was wearing was, overalls that day. That's right. Overalls <laughs> and bloody mouth. And we said we made his rock and roll dreams come true. So okay, questions fun. about that day, but I want to start with the shoe first. Yeah. It is totally torn apart <laughs> where the sole meets the shoe. Part. I don't know what you call this part. What happened? It's just degradation of no. like being, you know, over twenty years old. The the foam just disintegrated. And I think what we used to like to do is like, look, this is so big that I can put my foot with the shoe still on. <laughs> In his shoe, so I think somebody did that, and then it just like, you know, yeah, tore up. So. And I'm looking at it, and I'm not a sneaker expert, but I don't even know what brand of shoe this is. I think it's his own. It's his own. Okay. It's his own little line of shoes. He didn't. He didn't have a big Nike deal or anything. It was when the shoe business was definitely more splintered in the '90s. 
When is the last time that you've conversed with Shaq, who is a super duper star on TNT NBA stuff? Um, well, they had Entertainment Tonight come and 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 cover when he did the uh, our, the appearance at the, at K Rock. So we did an interview with him that night. I don't think I've seen him since then. Wow, he had a ball that day, though. I yeah. know he did. Do you remember what happened with this helicopter, which had an S on it, by the right. way? Superman. Yep. Um, what was going on when he took off from the festival? When the guy from Stained was doing a delicate acoustic song, and then there's like... So Stained is playing, and they're plugged in, and then Aaron Lewis like, my bandmates get off stage. Let me play an acoustic song and do a beauty. The second he starts... Shaq's helicopter doesn't take off like and zoom the way it hovers over and everyone is more interested in Shaq. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal and poor Aaron Lewis. It's been a while. Just did not go well in that moment. That was so exciting. God, is that one of your highlights of your career with Shaq on stage? And of course the video on the shoe and all that. It was, it was definitely one to just be part of the sports and music pinnacle. Uh, Let me please ask about another a plus level celebrity in my mind, uh, Robert Smith from The Cure. Your version of Love Song, and we love The Cure. I love, love, love The Cure. Did you ever talk to Robert Smith? Did he ever say you guys stink or you guys are great? Well, I do remember that when it came out, um, we had uh, heard through um, someone at our label that he really liked it. So there would, and some people had been like. 311 shouldn't cover the cure, man. That's like sacrilege. And we're like, hey, Robert Smith likes it, so we'll defer to his opinion rather than yours. But even if he said it stinks, or if any artist says a cover, who cares? It's like, I'm at, years ago, I would have cared so much. Oh my, but now it's like, who cares? You're an artist. You're going to do it. It's fine. The world's not going to end. Yes. And and we had the bass player, um, Cure's original bass player, was in our music video playing the bartender. Oh, wow. To love song. So double endorsement. <laughs> Did you do the cover specifically for Adam Sandler's movie, 50 First Dates, or was it done and then the Sandman or whoever said, hey, we want to use this? It was completely Adam Sandler's idea. Yes. God. I mean, he had, he loved the song Amber, and he said, I want that vibe to be the, the sound of this movie, um, and I want to cover... Um, romantic 80s songs in a tropical style kind of sound a little bit like Amber and then he, he said I think you you guys could crush this song Brian Ling was our mutual friend Brian Ling yes. shout out Brian Ling yes. hello Brian our mutual friend um, that was a friend of of, of uh, Adam Sandler's and so we did it I do remember that I, I made a demo and he said I like it but it needs more guitar so I hadn't added the guitar yet. It was all just keyboards for the first draft. Yeah. Um, but then I, it was a really a busy, cool time because I ended up doing like five. Of course, there was a 311 song, the, the love song cover. But then there was, I did four other um, songs like uh, Lips Like Sugar with Seal, uh, oh, Jason Mraz yes. singing Stop the World and Out With You, and a couple other songs. So that was really cool to get to produce five songs for a big big time movie a great movie that is very rewatchable on all the time 
Anytime it's on, I'll give anywhere between four and 41 minutes of my time on it. It's just like, oh, it's this part when these, they're about to run over the penguin. I think I can yes. stay for a little bit while while here. It is a classic. Yeah. So good. All right. I'm going to stick with celebrities going back to basketball. You are aware, I'm sure, what Clay Thompson said about 311. Yes. From the Okay. Do you want to tell everyone what it is? You want me to set it up? He said that he, uh, he and Jordan Poole, his uh, fellow Golden State Warrior, they call themselves 311 because his number is 11 and Jordan's number is 3. three so yeah. Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole are the 311 duo. And then he was like, you know, like 311, like the band. Right. So that's like, yes. the key to that, like the band. Yes. What is Clay, Clay Thompson? It's uh, Nick Hexer right here. What's your, what are your three favorite 311 songs? We would, come on, send us a DM. Any, any three is fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm putting you on the spot here. And it's three, it's a 311 question. What are your favorite three 311 albums? Um, well... I guess I'll I'll pick one from each era. I think that I can hear our dreams coming true on music. We were so mm. excited to work in a big time studio and uh, it was just like such a dream come true. We were, it was just like a runaway train and I can hear that in the music and the excitement. Um and then I think I'll pick one from our middle era, which was, I feel like in the, on the album Evolver, when like I, when we came up with Creatures for a while and some, and kind of got this real, I was listening to a ton of Beatles at the time and this just real hyper melodic creativity that um, I was just so proud of it. You know, I just, I love that album Evolver. And yeah. then, um, I felt we had another kind of rebirth on the Mosaic album, you know, two albums ago when right. we started working in some like really modern production techniques with like builds and drops and a little bit of dubstep mixed. I mean, all kinds of different. Was there a lot of collaboration on that particular album? Yeah, that was when we first started working with Feldy. Right. A couple songs with him. I like that album a lot. Yeah. And so uh, I've. Those are those are three that stand out. Okay, here we go. One more three eleven question. What are the three most for you, not the fans, three most underrated three eleven songs where you made them and you're like, this is gonna be the biggest song, and then like, eh, it's not as big as some of our other ones. Um, I like the song "Places That the Mind Goes" off of the Mosaic album. To me, that is just a spooky love song that uh just felt like a big step forward to me and we've only played it well actually i performed it solo at 311 day a few years back just by myself um so that's a, one sleeper there's another sleeper called um seems uncertain i think that is on evolver and that's about being frustrated by all the division in the world and um sort of a sad lament at all the conflict that was going on um one more sleeper my stony baby off our first album just okay. like cool funky 
funky jam that right. could have been a single. It was in Harold and Kumar's um, <laughs> one of their. <laughs> Will they go to White Castle? <laughs> I think it was another one. But Will they go to Fat Burger, or is it? <laughs> they go to In and Out in that one. Yeah. Is that the one? Um, are you part of the PTA? Are you a V like for your kids? Is there still a PTA like where like all the parents have meetings and are you like a president or anything of that? So whenever you start at a school, you get like really dragged into being super active. Right. And like me and my wife, we did our time and we were like very involved and then we passed the baton to the other new parents. So in the past, yes, we were, I was like helping uh, coaching, singing for the school play. You know, we were voting on the science committee and doing different things, but that's, it's a lot of fun and a lot of time. So, And uh, is a question, and I'm sure it's a compliment to you when this happens, but we're all at the age where people have 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and those parents, you are right in the wheelhouse of their musical development and loving and going to 50 shows. Are they shy to tell you that they like your music, or is it? do they keep it, hey, I'm a, the dad of this person. What's it like? Um. Well, there's such a, uh, a 90s resurgence going on that, like, uh, very often my kids will say, you know, my friends flipped out when they found out that you were my dad. So that's, that's kind of cool. That is very, very cool. It's, yes. it's pretty nice. And um, my middle daughter, Maxine, is going to school with two of Dave Grohl's kids, and they sit around and talk music a lot. So um, it's it's... It's very positive, and and I like I said they they exposed me to a lot of cool new music, but the the styles that they're wearing with the baggy jeans and the baggy sweatshirts and the, yeah. the vans and like it is just straight out of <laughs> the nineties. Is there a way to explain why that's happening? Has that always happened? For like I don't remember the sixties all of a sudden being big in the nineties. No, I or, do. I do. There oh, was, you do. Yeah, there was a big hippie resurgence and. With the Grateful Dead and girls wearing like flower dresses and Birkenstocks. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, in the nineties, we right. Were, I was in, but and I when if you look on the cover, the album photo for uh, music, I had really long sort of Jim Morrison hair, and so I was I was still in my hippie phase at that time. Um, but then we kind of got more into L.A. like hip hop and like shaved our heads. Right, but. Back to the fire story, my hair burned up in the fire. I had to jump through flames to get out of the RV. So I, and I remember at, I ran up the hill to get away from the burning RV and I put my hand in my hair and it was just dust. It was just ashes. It just like all fell out from being singed. No. So I had like this half of my hair was burned <laughs> and I had burns on my arm. And oh my God. And so I just shaved my head and kept it shaved for a long time. Right. Have you ever thought you got a great head of hair, man? I'm very jealous. Of your head of hair. I got to be. You ever think of just growing it out again, or is it going to be clean parted? Which looks, you look beautiful, man. You do. I don't know. I actually, it, the one thing I always go back to is where I started in rock and roll was my dad's love of like '50s cultures and cars and rockabilly and you know that kind of that kind of vibe. So. I think I'm channeling Elvis a little bit. I don't know. Oh, I like that. Have you seen any? Are you like, what are your favorite couple of TV shows that you and your wife have streamed over the last few years? You're like, I love these shows, or whether the reality shows or scripted shows, comedies. Um, 
Well, I enjoy learning about cults. So anytime there's like a <laughs> recreation of Waco or whatever, I'm all over that. Yeah. Uh, there is another one. There's one right now called Waco Aftermath on Showtime. That's very, very good. Okay. Um, yeah, we're into the, 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 Similar as everybody else, the the Ted Lassos and Succession. Yeah. And, yes. Oh, and Succession. So. We're not going to do spoilers, but the acting on it is so good. The most recent episode, a top three so far. Oh yeah. No, it's just like it's like breathtaking. All the crazy twists and the tension. It's that's a really well done. But other than that, we all, we usually skew a little bit more like documentary oriented. Okay. We're actually really into master classes right now learning about startups and different kind of things so i like i like information as much as i want to be entertained um if you could start a business right now would you want to open up like a sandwich shop or like wh like what kind of what would you want to do well we are working on something oh you are which is um a way for musicians to get the services that they uh, need to be able to put out music um, and not have to get ripped off by a record company. So uh, that's all I can say right now. Okay. <laughs> well, and what led you to wanting to do that? Well, I think it was um, back to my experience in the early days of 311 of being uh, doing everything ourselves from, um, you know, funding our own first record to being our own record company to take it around to sell on consignment and booking shows and doing all that. And I think we, we would have enjoyed staying independent longer, but there really was a, a stranglehold that the major labels had. You really could not get a wide distribution and get on, um, on the radio and stuff to be exposed to more fans without going through some kind of a label system. So, but that's changing now a lot. And there's a lot of big, artists whether it's you know chance the rapper or lizzo or frank ocean different people who are able to really make a go of it independently so i think there's a definite space there to um help independent artists nice. do promotion and have um sort of self-serve careers um without having to do the 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 old label model i think it's right you know they're that's the great thing about the internet is there's this big democratization going on. And so I've enjoyed just like you're, we're doing this from your guest bedroom. Now I've loved um, being on Twitch and doing cover songs and jamming and things that um, now there's just so many different little esoteric mom and pop artists that can make a, a career out of a smaller fan base by having these direct relationships. So, I want to. I want to encourage that. That's fantastic, man. Ten years ago, or maybe I could. I don't think I could have done something like this in my room with the setup and the look and the. I would have been like, I need uh, ten people, or I need approval from a big company to give money to. It's like, you can really put out product, and if it's decent, people their eyeballs will be on it, their ears are going to be on it. Yeah. Um. Have you? Do you know M Shadows at all from Avenged Sevenfold? Because well, I can't explain exactly what they're doing. They're doing something that seems to be yeah. different than the past. Yes. I, I He just came onto my radar recently about ticketing and NFTs and Correct. how to circumvent scalpers and stuff, and I, I love it. And how they're releasing the music, I think, is a little bit different and preventing like songs that are AI to 
don't I, I don't know there's a whole thing it's many many pages of reading but i feel like that they are on the right direction and you too that's really cool man yeah um i was just reading the other day and i think it could be only in southern california is there you guys have the come original beer where and how do we get th that sucker? And who from the band is tasting that to give the thumbs up that they like it? Uh, Peanut and SA are the uh, beer aficionados. Okay. Um, so, yes, that it's all about distribution. And I think we've, we've got a, a better situation. You know, we had the Amber Ale before, and then that yep. company folded. So this is a, a new one, and I hear it's great. That's fantastic, man. Uh, before you guys play some shows, we're almost in May as we sit here today, but then the big tour starts later. But you do have shows coming up. How many more rehearsals are you going to have? And do you think the rehearsals will lead to creating some more new songs when you're together? Well, I think uh, the next time I see the guys will be in Memphis when we have our ah. uh, Cinco de Mayo show because we just were playing last week. Um, and then we're going to get together in June to work on the new music. Okay. That's very exciting. Congratulations. I think like we've hit so many different things today. It's a sprawling, informative. Yeah. I laughed. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> you cried because of how, after all these years, I still don't know what I'm doing around here. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing the shack shoe, and it's so nice of you to let me keep it here on the back. Or are you taking that with you? Uh, yeah, you I, take that with it's you. It's not mine to, to give. No, I know. Of course not. No, I, I won't. Okay, Nick, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. Thank you so much for the friendship and just being so selfless over the years. And for you and the guys, you've created a million great times for millions of people out there. You guys are the ones responsible for it. So thank you. Thank you. You've, you've supported us. For so long, I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it right there. That's been another episode for Nick Hexum, Find 311 on the road. Big tours coming up. I am Stryker. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye. <laughs> Happy snuggles. That's another episode of Stryker's Tuna on Toast. Promise, it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>